Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us. This is Karen Stefano, author of the story collection, The Secret Games of Words. And I am thrilled today to have Stephen Dunn joining me, uh, author of the novel Potted Meat. Stephen, how are you? I am great. How are you today? <laughs> I am great as well. How's beautiful Denver? It's good. It's uh, the sun is out, which is not always great because it's really intense. So, yeah, <laughs> as usual, the sun is out. It's blinding, but it's okay. Uh, someone, you know, I'm from San Diego originally, and somebody told me once that Denver supposedly has more sunny days a year than San Diego, and I was always. I think really that's suspicious. true. Supposedly, Denver yeah. has around. 300 days of sunshine. It definitely feels like it. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah, yeah. But it's well, not okay, good problem, sun good like problem. San Diego. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, yeah, I, I definitely get that. Um, well, uh, let's, let's get right down to it. And uh, how would you feel about uh, reading to us uh, for a few minutes from Potted Meat? Yes. Um. Okay, I'll start from the middle of the book. I'll just read for a few minutes. Um, So, good old days. It is Christmas and my aunts, my stepdad's sisters, came in from New York like they do every year. The tree we decorated flashes white and red in the corner. They sit at the kitchen table drinking Bacardi, smoking cigarettes. My stepdad is drinking Wild Turkey 101. Mom is drinking beer. Me and my sister sit on the floor. We were drinking moonshine outside a few minutes ago. She got mad at me because I said, fuck Christmas. She said, I like it because it's a special time for families to act like they like each other. I said she was stupid like everybody else. She said I was stupid like everybody else too. My stepdad and his brothers and sisters talk about all the times they got beat when they were kids. My aunt says, remember that time when dad put my head between his legs and beat me with the cast iron skillet? Yeah, they all laugh. He tore your ass up. Remember, my stepdad says, when mom slapped me upside the head with that broomstick because I talked back. (laughs) Heads back, mouths wide open. Remember, my stepdad's brother says, when I told dad I ain't want to cut the grass, he ran outside with that hammer and hit me in the back. <laughs> yeah, buddy, my stepdad says, them was the good old days. He is smiling out of one side of his mouth and is staring at the floor. Wow. And I'll read one. Oh, sorry. No, go. Uh, go for it. I I I need more. Okay, I'll read uh, one more called Touchdown. My art teacher really likes my stuff. She arranges for me to have an art show for a week at the public library. Pencil drawings of the courthouse and watercolor wolves howling and oil waterfalls are copied from Bob Ross and acrylic trains with graffiti and pastel dogs and ink house in winter forest. I tell everybody in town, at home, at school, at church, guess what? 
my show opens after school on Friday, right before my football game at 7.30. My teacher says to meet her there immediately after school. People love to meet the artist, she says. I wear my uncle's brown leather jacket and my white polyester shirt with the butterfly collar. After I iron my jeans, I polish my brown boots, splash cologne, cool water. I stand in front of the watercolor wolves, wiping my sweaty palms on my pants. My sister walks in, smiling. Hey, Mr. Artiste, she says. How'd you get down here, I say. Don't you supposed to be at home? I missed the bus on purpose and caught a ride, she says. She puts her face close to the wolves and squints. Goes to another picture, squints. You've already seen these, I say. So, she says. An hour passes. No one comes. Another hour. Still no one. Let's go smoke, I tell my sister. We stand outside, shivering, passing a black and mild, smoke mixing with the steam from our breath. Well, it's time for me to go to my game. Everyone is at the game, cheering and cussing out the refs and carrying on like at every other game. I get a sack and catch a couple of passes and get an interception. I don't know the score, but we win. It was a scrubby team. After the game, people give me high fives. My stepdad smacks my helmet and tells me I did a great job and that I really showed that other team. That's my boy, he says to the man next to him. Every day the next week, my sister misses the bus and goes to the library with me. I skip football practice. No one ever comes. Me and my sister shiver while we smoke a black and mild. I draw a picture of her with a big cloud of smoke floating from her mouth and hang it next to the watercolor wolves. Mm. Uh, beautiful, Stephen. Um, you know, I have to. I have to say, um, I I read this book, and then um, I picked it up again. And I reread it uh, front to back, and it really haunted me. And I, I think, uh, I, I think that haunting uh, came about from the unique narrative structure of this novel. And if I can, I just want to read the uh, the summary paragraph that's on the the back of the on the back of the book for everyone who's listening. Potted Meat, a novel set in a decaying town in southern West Virginia, follows a young boy into adolescence as he struggles with abusive parents, poverty, alcohol addiction, and racial tensions. Using fragments as a narrative mode to highlight the terror of ellipses, Potted Meat explores the fear power, and vulnerability of storytelling, and in doing so, investigates the peculiar tensions of the body, how we seek to escape or remain embodied during repeated trauma. Uh, did you, this, this, this narrative structure, um, I've never seen a novel done this way before, and I'm really curious to hear how it came about. Did you, did you consciously choose 
this structure or did it choose you? And did you sit down to write the story one way and have it come out on the page in another form? I I just want to get to the bottom of this structure because it's it, it's fascinating. Okay, I um so I think I tried to put it in a conventional form years and years ago before it came to this and it didn't feel right. I, so I stopped writing the story. And um, so at the same time, I started reading Celia Staterstrom's books. Her novels were structured in a similar way. And so they gave me permission to do this. And it was something about her form that haunted me. And then also I was going through therapy at the same time, dealing with some of the issues in the book and uh, my therapist was doing body centered therapy and he would say, sit with an image. And I would sit with an image that I first thought of and I couldn't go any further than that. And that was really haunting to me too. So I started really focusing on, on these moments. And then when they would stop, these images would stop. I would let them stop. And then that, and it, it was similar to my therapy that I was going in. Like I would let these images stop where they were and it was really haunting. <laughs> so that's how it wow. came apart. Just really moments and moments from therapy and reading other books in a similar way. So, so you know, I think uh, the house um, on I, Mango street is similar to structured in a similar way. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, so tell me the name of this therapy again. I know I'm, I'm, very familiar with all kinds of therapy and um this one's this one's new to me what's it called it it was called body-centered therapy maybe that's the only time i've done it isn't that specific and i've talked with other people about it and it they thought it sounded familiar so it's i think just paying attention i could be getting it wrong here but it's like paying attention to what happens in your body when you think of an image or I'm sure it's wider than that and better articulated than I am here. So. Yeah, that's um, that's that's really interesting. I mean, it sounds um, kind of it sounds painful as painful as hell, actually. Um, and I always I always say to my friends when they're going through something rough, it's like, okay, I know this is this is difficult, and you're processing this. But uh, you know, you've got some gems here for your for your writing when you're able to to get this on the page, and it sounds like that yes. that's what you did. You kind of had to exercise some demons, and and um, God bless you. You got a beautiful book out of it. Yes, yes, it was, yeah, it was really <laughs> difficult, and I think a lot of the a lot of stuff from therapy, like I wouldn't even have thought of when I was just trying to write this book or think of. So it really helped bring out some raw emotions or raw images that were bothering me or that felt urgent in my body that I didn't know of. Yeah. Yeah. And then, man, did you get it on the, did you get it on the page? Um, Yeah. It's interesting. Have have you ever heard of, I did EMDR therapy once, um, eye movement. uh, Wow, man, I've heard of that. Yeah. My wife told me about it. I've never done it, but she explained it to me. It is intense. So it's eye movement desensitization. I don't know. Uh, I can't even remember the, the 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 last word. But yeah, like the therapist like takes uh, an object and makes your make, you follow it back and forth with your eyes. And I guess it's different for 
everybody. But for me, I kind of went into a trance, like a state of hypnosis. And we were going back mm-hmm. into some stuff from my childhood. And it was so powerful. And it evoked this, this image, um, uh, which kind of sums up my childhood pretty well. But um, I'm in a bowling alley. Um, and uh, with my mom and possibly my dad. And in this therapy session, the smell of uh, like spilled beer and stale cigarettes was so mm. powerful. I felt nauseous. And even though I'm in this, this therapist's beautiful uh, place with her lush carpet and, you know, my feet are on her lush carpet, but I felt the stickiness of the bowling alley floor. It was, I mean, it was some intense stuff. Um, so uh, it, it, it sounds, you know, wow. in, in terms of, yeah, in terms of like uh, the pain level, it sounds like it's, uh, you know, kind of similar to what, what you went through. And uh, it does. Yeah. Whether, yeah. Yeah. We'll see yet whether um, it's going to get me a, a, a good book. <laughs> At least, you know, I'm so, I'm so transactional. I'm all about, I'm all about what translates into a, a book or on the page. So. Yeah. yeah. Oh, um, wow. So let, let me shift gears. Um, obviously, I'm a huge fan of this book, and I found this novel to be not just brilliant, but exceptionally unique. Um, but we all know that sometimes the publishing world seems a little bit afraid of unique. And I was curious as to whether you encountered any resistance with publishers. And obviously this book did find uh, a lovely home, but I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about your publishing journey with Potted Meat. Um, so I, I thought, um, mainstream press wouldn't really care about it, or so I you, I published with the small press, uh, Tarpaulin Sky. So I, I don't think I had much trouble there. Um, it was rejected nine times before it got picked up, which is really lucky, lucky on my part. And so I don't think I had much resistance in the small press world. But since my book has gotten published, um, some excerpts came out in Granta magazine, and then from there I got an agent. And then my agent is trying to sell the book to mainstream presses overseas because she's in London and it is always getting rejected because they say they cannot find a lot enough readership for it. There are too many narrative gaps and it says it's a novel, but it's not quite a novel. (laughs) So all of those things that that is the type of resistance that it is facing from mainstream publishers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting. It sounds like you kind of knew from the get go that this wasn't going to, you know, this wasn't the round peg going into the round hole that, that mainstream publishers uh, need. Uh, So you, I I can't believe it only got, it only got rejected nine times. I mean, you know, I, I hear of people getting rejected uh, 50 times, 100 times. So oh, yeah, I that, expected I, that. Yeah. 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 But So I got really but, lucky with it. Yeah, you did. God, that's, a, that's, that's amazing. And 
Well, I hope that uh, your your London agent can can get it some love uh, elsewhere because it it certainly deserves uh, a big a big readership. And, oh, thank, um, you. thank you. Yeah, I also absolutely. got a really good insight on my initial publish attempt at publishing. Um, I was told to submit to places that. I was really influenced by and really look and see what presses like my book. So I didn't do like the whole, um, the huge 50 publishing, you know, sending it out to 50 places, only did two at a time from places that I really loved. So I think that also like really focused approach helped some, helped me. I don't think it'll help every Mm -hmm. time, but it helped this time. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's helpful to, to know. And uh, certainly your strategy worked. Uh, reading Potted Meat, obviously I saw the narrator's struggles with abuse, addiction, poverty, racial tension. But one of the things that hit me about the book was that I also saw the shame that tends to accompany these experiences. And I've got this big shame thing uh, going on because in a recent podcast, I spoke to the author, Shauna Mayen, about shame and what an interesting emotion it is, both in real life and on the page. And I I just wanted to ask you the, the really... Uh, overly personal question. Are you ashamed of anything in your life, in your world? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I am often ashamed of my military service quite really? a bit. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm not uh, at all proud of it. Sometimes I'm neutral about it. Like, oh, I did it. And I understand why I did it. But I, I am often ashamed of it. And I never know how to react when people say, thank you for my service. I don't, I don't like that, but, uh, and I know people have good intentions when they say it, but I do carry a lot of shame about it. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, tell, tell me about your time in the Navy and, and how that experience shows up in your writing. I saw some of it in Potted Meat and also in a couple of stories that you published in Connotation Press. But I, I want to I hear more about this, this shame, if you're, if you're willing. Um, yeah, let's see. So it, it let's see. Um, ah. <laughs> well, because we understand what the military does. And I feel like when I was in the military, it seemed less about protection, like homeland protection, instead of, it seemed less about that and more of like offensive actions rather than defensive actions. So yeah, that, and uh, I feel like culturally, I have not said a lot of things in the military as far as um, misogyny and racism. And so, yeah, I feel like I have sat back and let a lot of things happen. I know it's a huge institutional issue. However, like I felt some personal responsibility where I've known something may have been wrong and I didn't address it either culturally or 
legally. So. Wow. And and tell me how, because you were in the Navy, your bio, it's in your bio, and it says you were in the Navy for for 10 years before you went on yes. to earn your BA in creative writing from the University of Denver. But tell me how it's, how that, that experience has affected your writing. How does it show up in your writing? Okay. Um, let's, I think it shows up more so what I published with Annotation Press. That is from the book that I'm writing about the military, but, um, on the surface level, I think more experience from traveling. So my next book has a lot more worldly. So that's like potted me would be very focused and very isolated. The next book would be more worldly and in Japan. And um, it has also made, made me feel more responsible because I felt like socially irresponsible while I was in the military at times. So the reverse of that shows up in my writing where I want to be responsible with that more socially aware instead of this really, I felt like the military was a really convenient place to be in. Although people say, you know, we're saving you and we're protecting you. It felt very convenient and complacent in the military. So I don't want that to show up in my writing. Yeah. Well, no worries there. There's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing complacent about your writing. Uh, it's, uh, it, 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 uh, it, yeah, complacent is not a word I would ever use to describe your craft. Yeah, and that, that's what I, yeah, I try, like, friendships are easy just because, you know, like, out of convenience. And let's say maybe I were friends with people that I wouldn't be friends with in real life. I wouldn't seek out those friendships. So however that translates to my writing, just... I want to be more responsible with it. Yeah, well, I think, wouldn't you feel comfortable with someone saying that potted meat is a socially responsible book? It's it's very honest, and it exposes a dark side and in our, in our culture, and don't you don't you agree that it that it that it's that it's socially responsible? I I think so. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hope it also yeah. misbehaves. <laughs> yeah, well, it definitely but, does that too. But yes, I think but, it is socially responsible. Um, there is um, I, yeah, where I'm where I come from, like there is a lot of dislike towards um gay men, and we had gay men growing up in my neighborhood, and people always talk shit about them, although some people like them, but it was just like accepted, you know, like those faggots or whatever. And that's how people talked about them. So I think I wanted to address that in my book about how I felt as a kid, you know, like these people hang out with my mom. They're okay. You know, they're okay with me. So. And, well, and, and also, I mean, it, the, the characters, other than the narrator and his sister, um, and maybe you know, who knows? Maybe maybe them a little bit too. They are socially ignorant, and uh, they're uh, and that that comes out via racial tensions, and specifically 
uh, among the narrator's parents in, in several of the uh, narratives, there's uh, repulsion toward this black adolescent having any kind of romantic contact whatsoever with a white female peer. And mm-hmm. so, so, uh, so that, so that was interesting. I mean, and it's something it, it does, it does misbehave, but in its misbehaving, it exposes an ugliness. I, I think. Yeah, I thought I think I found that out, and I don't know if I expressed it that well in the book. Where some of that, like the repulsion of a black teen being with and having romantic contact with a white girl, is a response to like older racism that my grandmother and mom and dad uh, grew they lived with, and I don't know if they were okay with that change, or they may have seen some danger. So. Partly, I think they were right and wrong, <laughs> you know, so it is a really complicated mess, you know, so yeah. like what they grew up with was totally different from how I grew up, but not quite that different. So, but mm-hmm. I, and I, I felt like that was in very short sighted in my book. I missed that mark after it was all said and done. And, you know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I think that your book asks dangerous questions and I think that it exposes ignorance and ugliness uh, but it does that in a really beautiful way if if, oh, if, if that makes sense to anyone um, uh, I, I hope that everybody who's listening I, I, I'm sure they're going to be intrigued enough uh, to if they haven't read the book yet, that they're gonna that they're gonna that they're gonna <laughs> jump on it, and and I I hope that they do because it's it's just amazing. Uh, so well, thank you, you in advance. Whoever does, <laughs> you see this like huge <laughs> spike, and you know Tarquin is gonna call you and say, "Wow, you, know, <laughs> uh, you have to send you an extra royalties check this month." Uh, oh, <laughs> you, you mentioned uh, you were working on on something new. Tell me about what you're working on now. You said it's a little bit more worldly, so you're going to take us out of uh, a de- out of this decaying town in southern West Virginia. Uh, t- tell me a little bit about what is it? A, is it a novel? Is it a collection? Tell tell me everything. Um, I think it functions in the way. So I am writing about the military. Um, but when so when I was in the military, I didn't feel part of it, but I was part of it at the same time. So I'm trying to track the in and outs that I felt. So I'm writing like a fictional ethnography where the narrator is in the military, but he's writing about the military because I, I, I enjoy critical texts about the military and I enjoy more experience based texts. And rarely do I see them together. So part of my goal was to combine those two types of texts into one novel and see how that worked. <laughs> so, so yeah, and there's uh, just how I've been abroad with other military members and what, what the focus is on, whether it's a, an arrogance from being in the military and a, a right to the women overseas or, you know, we're participating in, um, uh, let's sex trafficking perhaps yeah and 
So just trying to look at all of those things and how does um, race works, how does the military advertise the race, and so just more like bigger concepts and yeah. <laughs> And is it is it, it is it a traditional narrative structure or is it uh, a similar structure to to potted meat or do you know yet? It's similar. It's similar to potted meat. So I take a lot of interviews. So since I'm writing a fictional ethnography, I interview a lot of people also. So it, it goes from a like observations to subject interviews, and I have documents in the book. I have a PowerPoint brief about sexual assault that felt very oh, childish wow. to me receiving that. And um, like the military used traffic lights to discuss sexual assault. Seriously? So, <laughs> yes. So they oh. would say, this is green light behavior. It's okay to touch someone oh. on the elbow. You know, yellow light behavior were actions that be- could become sexual harassment. And red light behavior was definitely sexual harassment. So these these really childish metaphors to address something as serious as sexual assault and sexual harassment, which is a huge problem in the military. So in the book, I have the PowerPoint brief because I felt like it should be experienced in, in that childish type of way or yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, Well, I uh, hurry up and finish that book uh, because I want to read it. I finished it. I finished Uh, it. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. All right. So you're looking for a home for it? Yes. Yes. uh, My Tarpaulin Sky is looking at it now to see if they would like to publish it. So I'm sure I'll find out at some point. Soon. At some point, right? Exactly. That's how that's how that's how the publishing journey goes. Like we'll, yeah. we'll all find out at some point. Uh, yeah, this and is and they're also reading it. a lot of other books too. So it's yeah, yeah, of course, <laughs> yeah. of course, yeah. I know it's like it's uh, listen if uh, if you're a writer and you're impatient, you're going to have a lot of self-inflicted pain, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so Stephen, I just have one more question for you before we uh, wrap this up. And uh, it's for this season, um, if, if you will, of, of podcasts, I've asked every single author that I've, that I've spoken with this question. And it's a question I've stolen from the Sunday New York Times book review section uh, their weekly interviews, and it's a question that I always thought was irrelevant in the past eight years, and uh, since last November, it's uh, it's felt uh, frighteningly relevant. And that question is: if you could require the president to read one book other than your book, what? would it be and tell me, and tell me why um, that is a really good question <laughs> um, uh, I think um the new Jim Crow oh yeah, I feel like it ties in just from far back how our race question has functioned in America through the jail system and the school system. And I think it paints a really 
I hate to say paint a really good picture, but it, it summarizes really well, like a lot of the problems with this country and yes, the new James Bond. That's the book. Wow. Okay. Uh, I think that when I'm finished with this season of podcasts that I'm going to put on social media, all of the books and uh, other other materials that each author have suggested that this president read because it's just they're they're all so insightful and and brilliant and uh it's put putting them all together it's it's really fascinating and uh and 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 your selection uh, definitely uh definitely contributes to the uh to the interesting selection that we've had so far. And uh, with that, Stephen, I just, I just want to say thank you so much. I'm such a huge fan of yours. I remember when uh, at uh, the F-Bomb flash fiction reading series in 2015 in Denver, when I saw you read for the first time and you just sort of blew my mind. And then uh, reading your short stories that I had published in Connotation Press and then reading Potted Meat, you're just, you're the real deal. And I just, I'm, I'm the biggest fan. So uh, I can't wait to read your next book. Oh, thank you so much. If we weren't over the phone, you would see me blushing right now. So <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, Stephen. Bye.